Good morning, brothers and sisters. It is so good to have the family together here this morning. Not done yet. It's, it's a work in progress, per. Today's reading, the heading is for today's reading is Judas to betray Jesus. Then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priest in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. This is God's word. All praise be to God for the glory. It's uh, so strange to hear those words, right? To think about G uh, Judas, who knew Jesus, walked around with Christ for three years and still sought this. I, I, I can't settle it. It's, it's unsettling. Um, some, some would say maybe that the book of Hebrews leaves a crack open in the door in the sixth chapter Maybe that, that we choose for God and we have to hold that salvation. And then some would even maybe say that Judas drives that door open even further. Hopefully today in the scripture we'll be encouraged differently. We'll see that Judas had ulterior motives, having every opportunity for repentance, but having not. And it's not that Jesus was working to trap Judas at every step. In fact, we'll see the opposite is true. Every opportunity was placed before Judas. But Judas chooses for betrayal. Judas chooses for personal gain. And in the end, Judas is left with crushing loss. But what's more, it's not just that Judas was left with crushing loss. Judas, during his crushing loss, still could have repented. That's the amazing thing of Christ. There is no such thing as someone who's too far. Um, I remember one time talking with a young man who was just frustrated, and I asked him, I said, what's, what's wrong? And he's like, it's just, I come to church and everybody has it so together. They're smiling. They're having a great time. They have their lives all worked out. I said, dude, I'm going to hit pause on you right now. <laughs> I know those people. <laughs> and I know me. And the only reason people are in that room is because they know they don't have it together. You ever see the meme of the lifeguard at the Olympics? <laughs> It's just the irony is not lost on me, right? Uh, Olympic swimmers with a lifeguard. Salvation is not for those who don't need it. Salvation is for those of us who were so far gone without God, but who realized it. There's no such thing as a person who doesn't need salvation. There's only someone who's too hardened for it. Sometimes it's pride. It... it it's humbling to be broken before God and say, I, I'm so far from you, and it's me that keeps me far from you. Your hand is open. Christ came and pay, paid the price of blood, death, death on a cross. I think we'll see as we continue through the rest of this gospel, Satan's mission would have been to stop Jesus from going to the cross. And we see that. Lord, it wouldn't be that you would go to the cross. Who wouldn't want Jesus to go to the cross? The enemy. The enemy of our souls. Because only by going to the cross could there be final payment for sin. So that means for, for the payment, not just, let's, not, let's make this specific, not just for the payment of sins of general people, for the payment for your personal sin, 
was Jesus on the cross. In spite of all of this, Judas chooses betrayal. And Judas's arm was not twisted. Judas chose betrayal. Sure, Satan entered into Judas, but it wasn't against Judas's will. Judas made an eyes wide open choice. In fact, we'll, we'll look at Judas a little bit as we go. And, and I hope we'll get some encouragement from Judas, as strange as that may sound. Because Mark has placed Judas up and against a completely different story here. We just read last week about Mary and her worship with this alabaster flask. And immediately on the heels of that, now we see Judas, who seems completely different. Judas stayed constrained to his own sinful understanding, which leads only to death. Rather than finding his understanding of truth in Christ, he followed his own understanding. Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 read like this, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Church, I think it's so important that we do not boast in our salvation. Because that can put, that can put a barrier before someone else. We don't want to accidentally present ourselves as a nose-in-the-air Christian so that people around would be ashamed, embarrassed to reach out to Christ for salvation. We are all sinners who just know where the bread is and it never runs out. So we tell everyone, hey, to our fellow beggars, hey, I know where there's a closet full of bread and it never runs out. Maybe for the first time this morning, between the example of Mary and Judas, maybe for the first time this morning, you'll see Jesus' hand of salvation. Maybe even though you think you've seen it before, maybe even though you think you've grabbed it before, maybe you'll realize that you've been fooling yourself and you were going after something other than Christ. Maybe you're going after selfish gain. Maybe you're going after feeling better. Maybe you're going after looking good. Maybe you were going after being in an environment where you could have more friends. To die is gain. To live, Christ. So as we study through this section... And it'll seem like a pretty heavy look at Judas because it's a pretty heavy look at Judas. Um, I learn well from negative examples. The way that my mother taught me what hot was might be similar to you just by giving up and letting me get burned. <laughs> That's the, I mean, unfortunately, I don't say this boastfully, unfortunately, I am so bullheaded and stubborn that that is how I learn lessons. It's through experience. So as we study Judas, consider in him the lessons. We'll see that Judas had a physical closeness to Christ. Perhaps more so than us. Certainly, literally, he's physically closer. But maybe you're physically close to Christ in different ways. Maybe you're physically close to Christ because you go to church. Maybe you serve in your church. But what about Spiritual distance. Because Judas, Judas had a physical closeness, but a spiritual distance. And I don't understand that out of my pride. I, I, just, I feel like if I was able to walk with Jesus every day, I would be so annoying. I would just want to know everything. Like, I don't even care what happens around me. I just want more Jesus. I wish I was more like that now. We'll see second that Judas had... Ulterior motives. 
they read well in Scripture, we can see Judas' ulterior motives, and you're like, how did, how did people not know this? But when you read the story, it's really interesting because maybe it's Judas that got all of the rest of the 11 to think, yeah, why is she pouring out that expensive alabaster pot? Yeah, we could have sold it and given it to the poor. And now they're all judging her, and maybe Judas started it. They didn't know about Judas. Jesus allowed him to be, his shame to be covered. Judas had rather significant ulterior motives. We'll also see that Judas was a thief. Judas was a thief. So we can look for these things in us. Where are those areas where I'm physically close but spiritually distant? Where are those areas where I have ulterior motives? And where are those areas where I'm a thief? And maybe your hand's not in the money bag. Maybe it is. But maybe you're stealing from God in other ways, like His glory. What do we, what do, we do to not accidentally communicate like I did to my friend that everybody in the church has it all worked out? Gosh, what is it about our behaviors that make people think that? Maybe every once in a while we just need to be able to share openly about the areas of struggle that we have in our lives. I'll tell you right now, I'm rude, mean, and impatient, especially if I'm hungry. And I, but I have to kill that. I, I am, when I'm mean, it's not nice. Um, I can be very cold, and that's not Christ-like. So we have to look, I mean... This is the thing that's so great. It's like a, like a performance-enhancing drug. To be the Christian means no matter what the people around me think, when I'm more aware of the areas where I'm sinful, God knew already. He knows I'm but dust. I'm the only one in the relationship between me and God who is confused about what I am. I am the only one who holds me in too high a regard of what I'm capable of. God knows who I am. I should be repentant towards him. I should wake up in the morning and say, oh God, I don't know why you love me, but I'm so encouraged by that. I'm so excited today that I get to live another day in your grace and your glory and I get to share about that with people? That's crazy. I'm going to live a short, at least 42 years, maybe 43, be cool, maybe 70, maybe 90, maybe 120. Who am I dragging with me? We're so forgotten so quickly. I mean, you ever think back, like, I, I, for whatever reason, I, I forget why. I just thought about this morning. It's a, it's a guy with a weird nickname. It's No Neck. Um, you can imagine why that was his nickname. Uh, maybe a couple years ago he died, and I just, it, for whatever reason, is, is, uh, he just popped into my mind the other day, and I was like, wow, two, to two years ago he died. I've probably thought about him no time since then. So strange. He's so used to seeing people, enjoying people, and then they're just gone. This life is a vapor. We hold on to it like it's so much more, like everything that happens here is so important. You might be so angry about something right now that you're just carrying it around with you everywhere. And you're like, yeah, why is that person like that? I'm going to treat them like they're like that. It's going to be done in a few years. It's going to be forever and eternity before loving creator God who loves you anyway. Let that stuff go. You could, you could, when you're burdened by all the things that you're carrying around, you're angry about, you don't even really realize it. When you let it go, it's so freeing. When you can just enjoy people. Verse 10, then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. And when they heard it, they were glad, and they promised to give him money, and he sought an opportunity to betray him. We studied last week about this woman who was worshiping Jesus. Maybe the only way that she could think of in that moment, maybe even not realizing what she was doing, preparing his body for burial, The way the scripture is written says that if she could have done more 
she would have. This was everything she possibly could have done. There was no more in her emotionally, physically, in that moment. There was no more that she could give. That was her unrestrained worship, pouring out of this valuable substance, giving herself over to Christ in that moment as you can kind of hear the sneering, the judging of maybe who she is and who her past what her past was, her, her background, what they know about her. All of these things are going on in the room and she doesn't care. You ever had that moment? You ever think about that as we're singing and worship, as we're, we're worshiping Jesus, we're saying these words and they're on the script, but that's our worship. We're pouring it out before a God who died on the cross for us. The, the, the walls should billow out from the sides when we worship. I look forward to the summer when we can open the doors and let people hear the sound of our voice pouring out over the streets because we're in praise and adoration and worship of our God. That's what she's doing. Everything she had was given to Jesus in this moment. Literally everything. People spoke of her indignantly, scolded her, scorned her. She was exhausting her everything. As Pastor Nicholas said last week, she was participating in unrestrained worship. Matthew said she did it for my entombment. John said she did it for the day of my entombment. Mark said she has anointed my body beforehand for burial. She poured it over Jesus in unrestrained worship. She was constrained to Christ with all that she could do. And then Mark shows us Jesus, right on the heels of that powerful example. John 12, 4 and 6 captures it well. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? little the biblical insight here in verse 6. He said this not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put in it. He had charge of the money bag for all the disciples? And he was dipping in it constantly. No shame in it. Judas had ulterior motives. But Judas was close to Jesus. Close enough to dip his bread with Jesus. We see in John 13, 26. Jesus answered, It is He to whom I will give this morsel of bread when I have dipped it. So when He dipped the morsel, He gave it to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. Judas was physically close, but spiritually so far. Imagine if Judas had been more introspective. What are my motives? What are the things that are going on in my life? Maybe, maybe you know this about yourself. Maybe you don't, but it's true of you. I don't care who you are. We can justify anything. Any behavior, any action, anything. We joke in my house all the time and say, you deserve, you deserve it. No matter what it is, we just say, you deserve it. Hey, I want to buy this thing. Ah, oh, yeah, you deserve it. It's kind of a joke in our house. You deserve that. So if you hear somebody saying it, my, in fact, my, my brother-in-law, he's like, I know what you're saying. But I love that you say it. feels so good when you say, I deserve it. <laughs> we, we can convince, and that's not Justin, by the way, that's John. We can convince ourselves of anything. And it's funny, but it's not. We can literally convince ourselves of anything. Um, I walked through, when, when my oldest son was home from school uh, the other week, or I don't, know, I don't even know, I, I don't even know what day of the week it is, but uh, maybe it was a month ago or so, um, he was in one of his classes, and they were watching a video, and the video was on the Stanley Milgram experiment. Maybe you've heard of that before. It's one of my favorites. So went um, like this. There's a, 
teacher and a learner and someone in a lab coat. Joke is, um, only the teacher person, the person playing the role in the experiment, doesn't know they're part of an experiment. Person in a lab coat's an actor, learner is an actor. So everybody gets together, they tell the person teaching, hey, you're going to teach them a few things, and then, then they're going to go behind this thing, and you're going to ask them some questions that you just taught them. And if they get the answer wrong, you're going to push this button, which electrocutes them. And, and right before they go back, the person says, hey, I have a heart condition. Is that going to be okay? And the person in a lab coat says, oh, yeah, yeah, you're cool. So the experiment goes, right? And the, the person gets anything wrong, and they zap them. And the person, it's kind of comical because you can hear the person go, oh, but they think they're electrocuting somebody. It's really weird. And the result of the experiment is, is frankly, terrifying. Milgram actually concluded that in any small town in America, there's enough people to populate the Nazi SS to do what was perpetrated against the Jews. As long as someone looks like they're in authority, most people will go with it. We'll push that button. That's in all of us. We have to be so aware of who we are. We have to remember we're but dust. And when we start feeling prideful and walking around, be careful because what comes... <laughs> before a fall comes pride as soon as you feel like you're killing it the Lord is going to reveal the truth of the matter Judas had ulterior motives physically close to Jesus but spiritually so far Judas held the money bag John 13 29 some thought that because Judas had the money bag Jesus was telling him Buy what we need for the feast. Or that he should go give something to the poor. They didn't even realize who Judas was. That should, that should kind of weird us out too. He was one of the twelve. He was one of everyone else. And they didn't even know. And that warning is all over Scripture. From among your own number. That's why we're so slow with everything in leadership here. So slow. Never want to put anyone in a position where they could not be fully aware of what they're signing up for, not be fully aware of the challenges, not be fully aware of the requirement. Judas was physically close, but spiritually far. Judas was a thief. Either, when, you, when you read about J Judas and you, you see a list of the disciples, Judas is always last. As you read the Scriptures, you'll see Judas never referred to Jesus as Lord. Only Rabbi. All the signs were there. He, could, he couldn't even say it. Or it wasn't permitted to be recorded as saying it. Hebrews chapter 6, verses 7 and 8, reads like this. For the land that has drunk in the rain that often falls on it produces a crop useful to those for whose sake it is cultivated, receives a blessing from God. But if it bears thorns and thistles, it is worthless and near to being cursed, and its end is to be burned. Now, note what the writer of Hebrews is saying here because it's rich. The land drinks all the rain that falls on it. This is God's common grace. The, the sun shines on the believer and the unbeliever. All people have equal common grace from God. God doesn't restrain that, right? It's not like unbelievers live in the shadows and the seasons don't work out for them. God is good. He puts all this stuff into motion. If you look at uh, Genesis 8, 22, it says, While the earth remains, seed time and harvest, cold and heat, summer and winter, day and night shall not cease. In so much as God determines to keep everything in motion, it will be in motion. All things are held together by the power of God's word. In the moment that he decides to stop, they will cease to be. They don't have to explode. They don't have to burn. They will not exist. 
God created 25 cent word of the day, ex nihilo. God created with nothing. It's not that God created um, the earth with a pile of dirt and then he put cool stuff on it, right? He first created the earth and then he made man from it. But he didn't start with pre-existing material. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 45. So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven, for he makes his sunrise, as you in, on the evil and the good, and sends rain on the just and the unjust. The land drinks the rain. This is common grace. It yields crops, useful to the ones that it is cultivated for. They're blessed by God. The rain and the soil themselves are amazing provision. If you plant a grape seed, I think that's how this works. I'm not, I don't grow grapes. Lots of people do in Pennsylvania. Plant a grape seed, a grape grows out of that seed. You don't plant a grape seed, that's actually a grape seed, and then a thorn bush comes out. You're like, oh, can't trust these seeds these days. Millennial seeds, they grow things that they are not. They always grow what they are. In a similar way, Judas, present for the sermons of Christ, the miracles of Christ, the acts of compassion. They cross over some water. They go see one single person who is infected with demons and devils who is, they try to chain up by the mountains out with the pigs. Heal him. Send the demons into the pigs. They all rush into the ocean. Feeding of the 5,000. Miracles, acts of compassion, fulfillment of prophecy, three years with the living word, but was unregenerate. He personifies Matthew 7, 21 through 23, sadly. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven, on that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, do we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. It's not what you've done, it's who you're found in. That's why Jesus tells the story of the workers in the field. You can imagine this scenario. You can imagine the frustration. Um, when I was a kid in high school, I worked on a, on a, on a grounds crew. And um, we would do all these banks, the lawns and the bushes, trimming for the banks. And we always try to get done really fast so we could go to the beach and hang out because it's Florida. Who wants to work? We always had this guy that would like show up late. We've been booking it all day so we could go to the go to the beach, go to the ocean and hang out. And he would show up late and then he would ride to the in the truck with us to go to the beach. And it's just always a little annoying. Like, how are you here too? Like I almost cut my leg off one time, I remember, because I was trying to do so many hedges at once without putting my arms down, and I realized my arms were about to give out, and I walked backwards and the thing just went clank, clank on my thigh a few times. And of course the resolution to that was let's go to the beach, that'll clear it out. Jesus tells a story about the workers in the field, similarly, working hard. And some are come at the beginning of the day, some come at the middle part of the day, some come right at the end of the day. You know that person, right? They're always at the water cooler at work. Like every time people are around chatting, there they are. Like I always used to joke and, and, and tell people I was going to take a smoke break because the smokers always just get to go outside. I'm like, I don't get how this works. So I would go on smoke breaks. And then at the end of the day, they all get paid the same thing. And Jesus uses this story to illustrate salvation, but he doesn't do it in a negative, frustrating way like we do. He says, rejoice. Everybody gets the same payment in the end. You shouldn't care how hard they worked, everything they did. Rejoice that people found their way to me. Rejoice that people will be with my Father forever in heaven. That shouldn't give you like a, a pain in your side or an annoyance. That's pride. In spite of all this, 
Judas was chosen by Jesus. John chapter 6 and verse 70. Jesus answered them, Did I not choose you, the twelve? And yet, one of you is a devil. We have to be so careful and so introspective. This life is fleeting, but it just it creates a gravity. It creates a gravity that pulls us in. Did you ever ride that ride when you were a kid? Where you, you get in and everybody kind of stands on the wall and you're laughing with anticipation. Um, uh, Lisa took my daughter on a ride recently, my youngest daughter on a ride recently, and she was full of bravado. I can see it now at the bottom, right? And it's at Hershey Park where you go up the elevator. Up, uh, uh, uh. Now, my youngest daughter's eight. She's seven. I know. I was checking your knowledge. Up, 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 up. So you get to the top, and then she started to lose her ever-loving mind. And she said, I don't want to do this anymore. No, dude, you're in. Boom, and then the bottom drops. It's like that ride that you get on where you, you stand on the sides and start to spin and spin and spin, and the bottom falls out, right? And you're kind of like pinned to the wall, and there's nothing you can do. That kind of that gravity that pins us against the side. That's the gravity that this life can cause if we're not very, very careful. It'll pull us straight in to places where when, when everything goes to chaos and your eyes start to clear up or consequences hit, you're like, how am I even here in this moment? How am I even here? That's because this, this world, for, for a little while, is broken. It's, it's fractured. It's infected. It's trying to pull you in. Satan has years and years and years of practice at this. You're just a baby. He's a pro. The only way that he pulls you in, though, is through the things that you, you want them. He doesn't make you want them. He has no power over you. You want them. You put yourself in that environment. And you give over a little bit and a little bit and a little bit. And before you know it, everything is completely out of control. Things go bad fast. We have, to, we have to remember, we have to settle this in our gut that the things of this world that call to us are hollow. Look to the end at Matthew 27, verses 3 and 4. I say to the end, I mean like the end of Judas. Okay? I'm sure Judas, in the moment when he was stealing from the money bag, was walking around with his head pretty high, one of the twelve. Pretty awesome. Walking with Jesus everywhere they went. Casting out demons. Seeing miracles. Maybe performing miracles. I'm sure Judas had plenty of pride, and I'm sure he had plenty of reasons why he was taking that money from the money bag. He probably justified it in the back of his mind very well. But let's look at the end. Matthew 27, verses 3 and 4. Then, when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned. Now, I'm going to hit pause here. He's surprised at this. He just accepted money for his condemnation. Okay? But when Judas, his betrayer, saw that Jesus was condemned, he changed his mind and brought back the 30 pieces of silver to the chief priests and the elders, saying, I sinned by betraying innocent blood. And they said, and I'm just going to shorten this up for you, that's on you, dude. This was Judas's life. So close to Jesus, but blinded by the world around him. Unable to see the word. Living with the living word, but unable to see it. He gave himself over to Satan. Remember verse 10, then Judas Iscariot, who was one of the twelve, went to the chief priests in order to betray him to them. 
When they heard it, they were glad and promised to give him money. And he sought an opportunity to betray him. Involved in ministry for three years. Never really close to Jesus. Never calling him Lord. Having every chance to repent. Sure, he changed his mind. Sure, he felt really bad. That doesn't mean anything about his heart. There's lots of things I can feel really bad about, but not be repentant. Because repentance is the simplest thing and the hardest thing. Repentance is the ultimate in humility. Because repentance says, I turn 180 degrees from trusting in myself to trusting in Christ for everything. My pride is out the window. When I repent, when I turn to Christ to be my everything, I am saying I am nothing. I can't even understand the world around me. I accept that Jeremiah 17, 9 says, my heart is deceitfully wicked above all things. Not even I can know it. Jesus, I need you to be my everything. I need you to be my understanding. I make terrible decisions. The end of what I understand is death. I mean, what more do you need? The end of everything you understand is death. Not even my logic, not even what I understand is any good. Judas had every opportunity for repentance. In fact, Judas almost had to leap over every opportunity to repent. Judas had to avoid really confronting himself and turning to Christ. Judas had to make lots of conscious decisions. Judas had to do things in the background. The scriptures say that in the final days, because of the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, that passage has always weirded me out. Um, I, I got a, uh, a split my finger one time in a hammer incident. <laughs> and uh, I still can't feel it, right? Like, I, you know, I could stick a pin right here in my finger and I just, I wouldn't, I mean, at some point, I would probably, I'd probably be aware. But you know what I'm saying? On the surface, I don't feel it. That's that same conscience, that same concept of the conscience being seared. Constantly going back to the same thing and the same behavior makes it so that you don't feel it. Pain is designed to keep us from bad decisions, right? Like when you're, you know, you ever like chopped onions? Like that's like one of my favorite things to do. I'm kind of weird. Like I love chopping onions. Um, you ever hit your fingernail? It's like the weirdest sensation. You think it should hurt and you're all creeped out by it and you're like shivery and stuff like that, but it doesn't hurt. But man, when you get your finger... With that same knife when you're like going to town on some onions. <laughs> I actually really do like chopping onions. I don't know why. But you're, you're, like, you're going to town on something, you're chopping, you hit the tip of your finger, and you're like, like in that moment, like sin, the Holy Spirit that lives in us when you're a believer, sin is that feeling. It, it should hurt. When, when it happens, when we look around and we go, whether it's this massive situation, you're like, how, how am I here? Or if it's a small thing. That's the ministry of the Holy Spirit is to remind us of sin, righteousness, and judgment. That's God's grace. God's grace is pain in this life. God's grace reminds me, ooh, I shouldn't do that. I need to be more careful. This goes to bad places for me. God's grace is that massive pain that pulls me back. That means God loves me enough to let this massive consequence befall me. He wouldn't let me go to that end. He brings me back because he loves me. It's humbling. But at the same time, isn't that crazy encouraging? Your God loved you enough because you're so bullheaded and stubborn to let you go that far and then bring you back so that you remember that lesson. What a great God. This life is nothing. It's a vapor. The consequences of what people think about you here, who cares? To live is Christ. Notice what's happening here in Mark. This is gospel calls forward this concept that contrasts Mary and Judas. Unrestrained worship, constrained to Christ with all that she could do, where Jesus himself said, wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. 
Are we even approaching being unrestrained in worship? Or are we constrained? Now, am I suggesting that we should run up and down the aisles with a flag and twitch and be weird? No. I'm talking about the heart. What's in your heart when you think on Christ? Not when you sing songs. I mean, sure, when you sing songs, that's great. But when you think on Jesus, what does it do for you? Do you get excited? When you think about who you are outside of Christ, do you get excited because God is so good to have called you? What grace and what mercy. Wherever the gospel is proclaimed in the whole world, what she has done will be told in memory of her. Are you Mary or are you Judas? There's no middle. Hot, cold. Do you know what happens with lukewarm? Jesus talked about it. He spits lukewarm out of his mouth. Hot or cold? On or off? Yes or no? Jesus or death? Judas was physically close, but spiritually far. Judas had ulterior motives. Judas was a thief. Now you hear that list. It's kind of like, you know, Jesus, Sermon on the Mount, talks about murder. You're like, yeah, didn't do that one. And then you realize his definition of murder is a little bit different, right? That you've never been mad at your brother in your heart. Now, if you have a brother, you're like, oh, shoot, busted. (laughs) But it's more than that. It's more than just being frustrated at your brother because all brothers, 100% of them, are completely annoying. It's more than that. It's about your reaction to other people. God is love. He would never hate. He would never say rakah. He would never react towards people the way that we do. And it doesn't take you long. You might do it when you leave here today. You won't now because I said it, but you'll know what I mean in a moment. When you get in traffic and the light turns green and there's one car in front of you, rage. Why does that make you so mad? You ever wonder, like, what, what is it about traffic? It's going to be okay. Really. I say that as someone who's like, brunk, brunk, get out of the way. Or in Pennsylvania, look, I'm not from here. Okay, I want to share with you that the triangle doesn't mean stop. Okay, so when you go to get on the freeway, you do not have to stop your car. There's like 900 yards of road that's designed for you to get up to speed and merge into the lane. Now, those are easy examples. But, but what about those times when someone says something hurtful to us? And from that point forward, we treat them as someone who hates us. Maybe you don't do it on purpose. There's just something in us. What about when your spiritual life starts to fade, right? Maybe you're close to Jesus in some ways, right? You listen to Caleb, which is positive and encouraging. All kinds of great stories about silly little things your dog did. But maybe you're not praying, right? Maybe maybe you think back and you're like, gosh, it's been a week, Sunday to Sunday. I haven't even prayed So far. And then maybe you look at that same week and you go, and every bit of my life looked like it. No thoughts of God, thoughts of Christ. I want to say that's okay and it's not, right? That's not good. But it's okay to realize that it's so important to stay supple, to stay tender, to not have your conscience seared, to let that lay on you so that you can change it. Judas had every opportunity for repentance, so do you. We should be abiding in Christ. And sometimes that's discipline, right? Sometimes you don't like wake up and you kick your feet sideways. I don't know if you're like me, maybe you wake up slow, but you know, you wake up, kick your feet sideways, your feet hit the ground, and you're like, boom, let's do some Bible reading. Maybe you have to discipline yourself for it. You say, you know what? I'm, I'm going to set the alarm for a little longer or a little earlier so that I can get up and do what I need to do. So that I can have better performance? No, so that I'll be abiding in Christ. Will my day be better? Maybe. I don't know. But you should be abiding. We should be able to check our hearts to say, are there ulterior motives in me? I'm going to give you like a hint. There probably are. 
And you, you don't want to develop blind spots to that. You want to be supple enough to see that so that you can turn that over to God and pray about that. God, I'm treating this person in this way, and I can see it now. It's not of you. Give me the grace to stop it. Um, I'm trying to make this thing happen, and it's really, it's about me. It's not about you. I want this to happen in the church, and it's not about you. It's all about me. I wish we wouldn't have painted the wall that color. I hate everyone. I'm going to bury the church. (laughs) Some of the stuff we're angry about, I'm telling you, it's silly. So as a church, we don't vote. We don't have councils. We don't do those things. It just gives opportunity for people to get angry. Really, it doesn't matter. I'm going to act like if you're here, I'm just going to straight up ask you, don't care about the decisions that are made. Now, if we start teaching scripture wrong, tackle me and throw me on the sidewalk. Don't worry too much about what color the wall is. If it wasn't the color that you wanted. John chapter 13, verses 27 through 30. Then after he had taken the morsel, Satan entered into him. Jesus said to him, what you are going to do, do quickly. Now, no one at the table knew why he said this to him. Some thought that because Judas had the money bag, Jesus was telling him, buy what we need for the feast. Or that you should give something to the poor. So after receiving the morsel of bread, he immediately went out and it was night. After receiving the morsel of bread. Can you imagine being him in this moment? Like I said, he has to leap over every opportunity for repentance. He receives it. He takes and eats from Jesus. And then goes to betray him. It tastes still in his mouth, bread in his stomach, digesting. The flavor of the love of Christ in his mouth out doing service to his own passions and he betrayed Christ. I think that's haunting. I think that's completely haunting. Because I don't think that Judas would have processed and told you what he was doing. I don't think if you if you said, Judas, where are you going? I don't think you'd be like, oh, so thank you for asking me. I'm actually going to betray Jesus right now. He would lie. So here's, here's the lesson in Judas. And this is a trap in the church that we have to be really careful of. Is we can't respect the way that we look before people more than we appreciate our call before Christ. That sets us up for failure every time. Satan will pick at that and pick at that and pick at that. A buddy of mine named Preston used to tell this story called Remember the Duck. And it's these two little kids, and they're playing in the yard, little boys doing what little boys do, playing with this slingshot and doing stupid things. And his grandmother had these ducks. She loves the ducks. And so the little boy's playing with this slingshot and shoots one of the ducks. He kills it. Nobody's looking. He takes the duck and he buries it under a wood pile. And then he goes inside and sitting at the table and Grandma says to the, the kids, hey, uh, go, go wash the dishes. Grandpa's going to take you all out fishing this afternoon. And his little sister looks at him and she says, saw what you did with the duck. Why don't you do the dishes? Off he goes, washes the dishes. Comes back at the table and the grandma says, oh, that was nice that you did that for your sister. And he said, that was. And the grandpa came in and said, okay, it's time to go, time to go fishing. And the little sister looked at him. I think I'm going to go by myself. Remember that duck? So off they went. Little boy stays home. Finally, it's just rolling over in the back of his mind, toiling, beating on him. The next morning, he comes to his grandmother crying. She says, I killed the duck. She says, I know. I knew what you did. It was okay. I forgave you the moment it happened. I wondered when you were going to tell me. It's, it's just that easy with God. Knows everything about us, loves us anyway. Hands Judas the bread, he takes it and then he leaves anyway. We can never have more pride before people than we give ourselves over to God. It's a trap. It's a trap. Pride's a trap. 
and it's a killer. So we need to ask ourselves, are we physically close but spiritually far? Are we in the church and doing things, Bible reading, prayer times? Are we abiding in Christ? It's a red flag if you're not. Stop. Repent. Read John 15.4. Ask ourselves, do we have ulterior motives? Is my service about Christ or is my service about me? Is it about being seen as being worshipful? Or is it about God's glory? Who benefits from your service? You or others? Matthew 6, 1 through 18. Are we a thief? And this one's tricky. Because maybe this isn't about money. Maybe it is. Maybe you rob the people of their joy-filled experience by complaining and backbiting. Ask yourself, are you dragging people down or encouraging them? Hebrews 10.25 And if you can go through this list and come out scot-free, spend some time in prayer. Let's not be unconstrained to Christ. Let's be unrestrained worshipers. Open to correction. Open to rebuke. To desire to do His will, not ours. And I'm telling you, that's murder. To desire His will over your own means you need to kill something in yourself. And it doesn't feel good. If it all feels good, if it's all comfortable, if it's all bubbly, you might be doing it wrong. Be introspective. It's important. Maybe for the first time this morning, between Mary and Judas, you'll see Jesus' hand of salvation. Grab it. A close of Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing. It's the gift of God. Not a result of works, so that no one may boast. Let's pray. God, thank you so much that you've given us your son, Jesus, who came obediently, lived always like us, but without sin, and in doing so became your perfect sacrifice. Perfect sacrifice is a savior, the captain of our salvation. God, would you give us clear eyes to see ourselves before you as simply sinners in the hands of a wonderfully merciful God. We thank you for the the Christ who's the Lamb, the Spirit who is our helper, and you, our God. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.